Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and today I am joined by Jan Keck, who is a facilitator, trainer, experience designer, video creator. He has developed these cards called Ask Deep Questions. We're going to focus a little bit on those in this interview. We're also going to talk about his work in the virtual space. He has been producing a lot of videos on YouTube about how to facilitate virtually. Before we get into any of the questions I sent you, um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Of course. Uh, So my name is Jan, and that's also maybe something that uh, a lot of people might not pronounce right because my name is spelled with a J in the beginning, and I'm from Germany originally, but I live in Canada, so I often have to teach people how to pronounce my name, and I combine it with a fun activity, which maybe we can even do right now. Absolutely. Um, Which... Because my name sounds like when you do a, when you get really tired and do a yarn. I always have people like just do one big stretch ugh, and yarn just to wake up. And I feel like that's, that's always really needed at the beginning of what I spend a lot of time doing right now, which is teaching other people how to create these, ma- I call them magical human moments when they facilitate experiences, when they run workshops. The one thing that I'm really passionate about is helping people feel less alone uh, based on my own story, which we might get into during this podcast. But if I can have everyone leave feeling more connected to the other people that they met, then that's that's really my goal. There's this phrasing in experiential education of connection before content. Now, I've heard this mentioned a lot from people. What I was saying to someone recently is actually just literally connection is our content because i think that that as a facilitator doing team development work leadership development work that's always the core of what we're doing we're always going to focus that it doesn't like we do the connection part all right that's good that's done let's leave that aside now we've checked that box and now we can focus on the other stuff it's a component part of everything that we get into normally at the start of interviews i do a section called mystery questions where i'm just going to randomly pick a question all right in fact the guest picks the question what i'm going to ask you and, and throw this to you is that you have uh these ask deep questions cards and I, my assumptions, you might have some around you. I was wondering if you might be able to facilitate and describe those cards and then facilitate a quick uh, question between the two of us. And we can go deeper rather than doing the the fluffy stuff at the start. I, I love it. Uh, I'm in. Uh, yeah. So the cards I originally created because I wanted to connect with some friends on a camping trip. And I just was sick of small talk, especially <laughs> going to networking events like... It's one thing going to a networking event and like it being unfacilitated and looking around the room like that's that's my worst nightmare going into a room with like 100 people seeing everybody in small groups having conversations I'm like I either want to leave again I want to be on my phone or maybe I will grab a drink and stand next to the bar and hope that somebody will talk to me because mm-hmm. walking up to the group and waiting until there's like a pause and like smiling and nodding and like think like trying to be part of the conversation where I have no idea what they're talking about and then once you actually get to introduce yourself the main question is so what do you do I feel like it often 
puts you or put you put other people like I've done that myself you put them in a box and once you know their profession you're either interested to learn more about them or you're not and you're moving on whenever I did use other questions and all of those I put on like a card so the first deck of cards was just 50 questions that I had collected from listening to podcasts from reading books uh, from just like having great conversations and thinking, oh, I want to have that conversation again. What's a question I could ask someone else to get to the same same outcome? What I realized in the beginning was that sometimes just picking a card, there's three different types of questions. There's curious questions, then there's brave questions, and then the last level is vulnerable questions. Because I believe if we can be vulnerable with each other, that's how we form the strongest and deepest connections with people. But it's you can't really jump right to vulnerable. The The reason why there's the three levels is because you have to go through each level before you can get there. Because if we go there at the same time, that's that's usually better than one person going like, sharing something really vulnerable and everybody else is like, whoa, that's, that's a bit too much. Yeah. So maybe we can just use a curious question sure. to play and let's make this completely random. Let me actually open up the, the whole box and I'll have you pick Pick a card that I like. I have not looked at these. So if you choose like right, left, or middle. Okay, I'm going to choose left. Uh, your left or right? <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Um, <laughs> let's go my left, your right. So the question is, how have your priorities changed over the years? I have a five-year-old. So that easily, very easily answers that question to a degree, because I think that I was actually saying to someone uh, recently that I think that there's a becoming an adult isn't an age-based thing. It's a relinquishing of responsibilities or like having to give yourself what you would say was like, just for me time to somebody else, like constantly giving that stuff. So I feel like I've become an adult more in the last five years than I did in the previous, how old am I? 28 years. Yeah, I think that my priorities have changed now focusing on her more. As well with the work that I do, I've focused a lot more on making more connections with people. I've had those exact same, as you were discussing, the like small talks mingling sessions. I travel to a lot of conferences and they always do these like first timer events or first day events, which are exactly that. These these conversations where you have to grab a drink and hope that you get there. Either you get there really early, so you're the first one in the room. So people will come to you. If, or if you're the last one, there's these circles and you're never going to be able to connect. But I've tried to expand professionally. I've tried to expand my network, expand it beyond even those people that I know are in the industry. So such as yourself and me, I, I've never met you before. And so... I would be likely to not have met you continuously, right? Like not had that connection. Uh, you in Toronto, myself in Vermont, unless we had met somewhere else, we wouldn't have had these connections. So I've been purposely trying to reach out to people, which for me is vulnerable. People will relate to this, someone listening. But as a teen, I had social anxiety. I don't think that really ever goes away. I think I've got better at dealing with that. And so doing more of this has only helped that having these more like impromptu random conversations with people who have an interest that is aligned and that we get to have conversations mm -hmm. with. So I, sorry, I took that in two different ways, family priority and then job wise. I, I love that. And it was funny how the first thing you said was that you're a father and that's how it changed your priorities because that was the first thought that came to my head as well. I have a two year old and 
a lot of priorities have changed. Actually, not not since I became a dad, but the moment I found out that I will be a dad. Because I used to have a video marketing agency for seven years. Uh, like I used to work in video production for like 10 years. And I created the cards, like I said, as a like to connect with my friends. And then um, everyone at the end was like, hey, can I borrow this for like my family is coming over? Hey, I'm running a workshop. Can I use this for like an opening activity? And it turned into a product, but it I only spend like evenings and weekends working on it. And once I knew that I will be a dad, it kind of put things in perspective where I realized my heart is not in the video production anymore. The cards is really what I'm really passionate about. And I could see the the potential of it having a huge impact on the people that is going to touch. And I've heard a lot of the, the stories from like my friends that have used the cards until then of like, hey, I've used this with my new date. And like somebody actually just told me, I just saw that two weeks ago. Now they're they're engaged wow. and they use that on their first date. I'm like, there is a like something really powerful with the cards. And I said, okay, this is going to be my chance. Like I need to go all in on this before my son is here and I won't have time to actually invest mm-hmm. into something new because like growing your own project is like raising your own kid. And yeah. I didn't, I wasn't, I don't think I was prepared for having twins, like raising a project <laughs> and a kid at the same time. So I wanted to get this head start. So that was really what got me kind of the, uh, lit that fire under my, under my butt mm-hmm. to get me moving and, um, and invest in that. And with that also, designing the lifestyle that I want first, which has become so much more important in the last year mm-hmm. uh, with the pandemic of um, being able to like work remotely, which only happened for me in the last year because all my work was in person yep. uh, up until like March a year, uh, yeah, a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, but still the, the having the flexibility of making my own hours of being able to travel, uh, being able to like my wife is from Colombia. So spending like a month in Colombia or going back to Germany for a month uh, and still being able to work from there. That was always something that I had in the back of my mind. And it really happened since since that moment where I knew that I will be a dad. I had this like grieving period. I felt like like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like my job is very much in-person connection focused. What was it like for you, that transition point, especially as you'd only just maybe recently embarked in this solo stuff? The big challenge for me was I used to believe that technology is one of the biggest obstacle why we can't connect with each other because we always have this, I actually don't even know where my phone is, which is a great problem to have. Mm -hmm. I love not knowing where my phone is uh, when I don't need it Mm. Um, because it always takes your attention. There's always some buzzing, some notifications coming in. And I think we've all experienced this um, in person when you meet a friend for coffee and suddenly they get a text message and they pull out their phone while you're telling a story. Mm-hmm. They might just glance at it. Maybe they're even so uh, like, maybe they actually start replying to it while you're still talking and it just makes you feel so unimportant. And I've actually noticed that something like that started happening on Zoom where we can't turn the technology off 
And for someone who is sitting in a darker room or might be wearing glasses, as soon as you see the reflection change or the light change on their face, you know, they're not really listening. They're checking the email, they're checking social media. And um, I think it's become even worse, that problem, because now uh, they think they're doing it without you noticing. Like if somebody pulls out their phone while you're sitting at, at a coffee shop, they know that you see them pulling out their phone. Now that we're looking at a screen, they think they can do it in secret. And if something changes with like the lighting or the reflection, um, it's it's like that feeling is even worse. So I used to think it's not possible. It's not possible to really be present and have these create these connected moments uh, with technology. Um, actually, in person, I used to create a cell phone sleeping bag. Uh, you might like this because looking at behind you, there's forests. I'm sure you're, you, you mm-hmm. like to go being out in nature, maybe going camping. Um, I used to take a, just a padded envelope like this, have people like customize it, draw something in the front, put some stickers on. Then we put our phones inside at the beginning of the event, seal it up and like put them on a pile or put them in our bags so we can focus on the connection. So. Yeah, it took me a while to to realize that there is something possible. And it wasn't until I had this one, I attempted this experiment of doing a virtual group hug online. And it was, it was just a, it was this, this fluke of an idea. I thought, I thought about all the people, uh, I think it was in April that uh, live by themselves. Mm-hmm. They love to hug people, but they don't have anyone there. So what can I do? Maybe we can do a virtual group hug. So I just put up a Facebook event, but I had no idea what that actually meant. I didn't know what to, how to do that. Um, and as soon as people started signing up, I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out. So we just um, were sitting, like we were on Zoom uh, with a bunch of people. And I just said, okay, you can just grab an object that you can hug, like in front of your computer. Uh, so you can grab a pillow, you can grab a blanket, showed some stuffed animals for my kid. Um, and just for fun, I showed this big stack of toilet paper that my wife had just bought from <laughs> Costco the day before. Uh, like it was April 2020. Yeah, most yep. people know that was the time where uh, toilet paper was really hard to get. So I was quite happy. And I just thought, just for fun, I'll show you could also hug your toilet paper. But then as I was hugging it, I'm like, wow, that that feels the most like a human because the the teddy bear was too small and the pillow was too soft, but the toilet paper was just like just right. So I was hugging that. Uh, other people were hugging their objects. I played some um, like movie soundtrack, emotional movie soundtrack as music in the background. And we all closed our eyes. And I remembered this, this moment where um, a week earlier, my son was just running through the apartment because the fire alarm was going off. And he gave me this like hug where he didn't let go for like half an hour until he fell asleep in my arms. Mm. And he was just shaking the whole time. And there was nothing I could do except hug him back. But that moment came up while we were doing this activity, thinking of, again, there's other people on this call who don't have that person. Like, what if they are, like, I imagine them as my my son. If they have this moment where they just need a hug, they don't have anyone to give give them the hug. So it it became this really emotional moment for me. And when I opened my eyes, everybody had their own emotional moment. And instead of having a 15 minute call, we spent like another hour just debriefing, sharing these stories. And for maybe for the first time, 
that was at the end of April, talking about how the pandemic has impacted our lives. We were vulnerable. We connected. I forgot that we're looking at a screen like time just was not existent. And that's that's where I realized, okay, we we can do something. Just need to figure out how. Were you aware, because I wasn't until I entered this world, were you aware that experiential education, facilitation work was a thing before you jumped into it? Or was this like a, a new immersive experience for you, jumping into it? That That's a really good question because I'm still not really sure I understand all the, <laughs> the aspects and like little subgroups that exist. Yeah. I think that the... The one thing I knew existed because I experienced that myself when I was a kid was going to summer camp. And I also was a camp counselor for like many years. And I feel like a lot of the things that I do when I create experiences now, there's little things that I remember from being a kid at summer camp that I'm trying to bring back. Like just the, the, the idea of a workshop uh, was not new to me because we did workshops there and the workshops were on like let's make uh, let's make a cup out of clay, or let's learn how to juggle. That was like one of the the workshops that um, I enjoyed the most. And like every year, I was like in the juggling workshop, even though I I got better, um, and then was teaching people. I'm like that's that's my favorite. That those are my people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of that I think I took from there, and then for me it was just about I'm um, hosting events. Like in the beginning, it started with. Uh, I'm just hosting an event and how can I take people on this journey? And uh, the same way as my cards have like the curious, brave and vulnerable, I realized that there's a real power into building up to something like having some vulnerable, more transformational activity at the end and leading up to that. And I now describe it as the, the campfire formula of you probably know this, you can't light a big log with just holding a lighter up to it. You have to go through the different steps. You have to light your paper and your tinder and you add your little sticks and the kindling. And by the end, you have that beautiful fire. And it's the same thing when, when I think of designing experiences, we have to build this trust and psychological safety where a group can then do something that is uncomfortable and still feel supported by the rest of the group and by you as the facilitator. And I actually don't know where I picked that up. I think it was just from like watching other people, like I've attended other people's like, like men's uh, retreats and like uh, personal growth retreats. I think just watching what other people are doing, that's how I try to re-engineer how, how it was so impactful on me and then try to replicate that. Yeah, yeah there, there's still, when it comes to the, I guess, industry of facilitation, um, especially when looking at trying to translate what a facilitator is in German, and people have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about, like, because that word doesn't exist. Um, I'm realizing, yeah, this, this is a kind of a, a small industry still. I think that sometimes the word facilitator really limits us because <laughs> not many people outside of this industry refer to any to what they do as facilitation i think the word makes sense when you look at the definition to make easy but i'm not entirely sure us saying we're facilitators is an accessible term to people outside of people in this bubble 
putting a label on the work that we do, or even trying to put a label on the work that I've been doing, even before I found the term facil facilitator, has always been challenging. Like if you look at my website on the about page, I think in the beginning I had like one word that said like um, video producer, entrepreneur, and then uh, I think I added facilitator and trainer and experience designer. And like I could go on with like the list of terms yeah. that none of them really encompasses all the things I think in one because I love to teach and to like deliver content but I also know the the power of using the wisdom that is in a room, like stepping back mm -hmm. and letting the participants have their conversations and aha moments. And if they find the answers themselves, it's going to be so much more powerful than if I just tell them the answer and almost becomes like a bit of a coaching uh, aspect that comes in there. So I, I love just mixing all of those different, different, um, I guess, approaches to just figure out, okay, what's, what's the outcome that we're after and experience. The end, like the experiential part is, is probably the one that I always go back to. Like, I, I don't think I could do a lecture anymore, um, of just like, here's all the content and you just sit down and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, especially online, like breakout rooms are like my favorite thing is like the magic, the secret, secret power that, that I, I can wield as the facilitator or trainer, uh, to have people like, Pay more attention, be more engaged, learn more, connect with each other. Like there's so much stuff that happens in those small groups that wouldn't happen in like a larger, mm -hmm. larger group. Do you have any tips or advice to people who want to be able to facilitate deep, meaningful conversation, but have that like nervous uncomfortability about trying to breach those? Like, What advice would you give? Yeah, uh, again, it, it's all about creating the right environment from the beginning. Um, and making it so nobody gets scared and terrified and runs away. Taking that, that campfire formula or that structure where you build slowly and, uh, you are a big fan of play as you have a neon play sign. <laughs> I use play a lot in the beginning to just help people open up and, um, kind of break down some of the barriers. Cause when we're having fun and we do something uncomfortable, it's not as scary as if I ask you to, answer a question that you might not have ever thought about. So I always mix in a little bit of play and some activities in the beginning to just warm up and start. Like the first questions really need to be something that is not too hard to answer. Uh, and ideally, talking about something positive, creating some kind of connections between people. Most of what I realize is, especially once we get to the vulnerable questions, that it doesn't matter who you are. We all have something in common when we talk about vulnerable things. Mm -hmm. But on the surface, we might not agree with another person. We might be having different political, religious views. Uh, but again, if we go to like the, like, how do you want to be remembered? I think we all would share very similar things if we are honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. But that is the part that we need to kind of lay the foundation for. The other thing I would probably recommend especially when it gets to the the deeper questions or topics is giving people a choice. And that's actually something that I think I got from um, like adventure, experiential education, the idea of challenge by choice. Mm -hmm. When like for the curious question, I just tell everyone, okay, here's your question, send them to breakout rooms or find a partner, have your conversation, maybe switch. In person, actually, it's great if everybody has a card and they're holding it up, they can like find a partner 
have the conversation, exchange the card, find a new partner like that could go by itself. Online, we need to facilitate it a little bit more with the breakout rooms and times. But once we get to the deeper questions, I usually give everyone two questions and they can choose one of them. Or do you ever do something like tarot cards or oracle cards? Like do you ever pull cards for anything? No. Um, so I, I have a lot of people that have this belief and I think they're there's way too many times where something has happened where I'm like, there has to be something more out there, but where instead of you picking the question, the question chooses you, mm -hmm. like this is the question you're meant to answer in this moment with this person. So having that action of like pulling a card from a deck and go like, okay, this is the question. Like mm -hmm. there's a whole different intention around it. And then giving I give people the choice, okay, if this question is not something you feel comfortable talking about right now, take a deep breath and just think about what makes you uncomfortable about, about this question. And sometimes it's not about answering the question, but just sharing a memory that comes up. Because the goal in the end is to connect and talk about something else than small talk. It's not, not a quiz. There's no like right or wrong answer here. I feel like every time I facilitate something like this, I almost teach people communication skills. I teach them listening skills. Uh, I teach them how to ask a great follow-up question and really be present in the conversation when somebody else is sharing. Uh, and that becomes the skills that they will then use to, to really make the most out of whatever the content is. Like it doesn't, the question only matters so much. I think mm -hmm. it matters more what is the environment and how you set it up. One point you, you touched on there, which I thought was great, is that they don't actually have to answer the question. Uh, they can either talk about something else or talk about how they feel about having to answer the question. Like in terms of facilitating, if I'm ever having groups have a discussion, I don't really want to then have a myself and a colleague have been coining the term report out fatigue, which essentially means that I'm fatigued with the idea that we have to do these report outs, large group report outs. And let mm -hmm. people have the small conversations. Like, let's say we put them in the breakout room. When we get all everyone together, I don't need to know what they talked about. I don't need them to report out. That was for them. But what I might ask is, what was the process like to be in those small groups and talk about it? So I'm not asking the question, but I'm asking about how that experience was. And I think that that was a point you touched on there. We're talking about how it feels like, oh, I'm uncomfortable answering that question. Okay, talk about that. That's something you yeah. can immediately respond to. Which I like. And I think and I think when it comes to teaching like how to have these great conversations, like the one thing, again, uh, my goal is how can I make people feel less alone? And a big part of that is making them feeling seen and heard. Mm. And when you probably have uh, experienced this at a not facilitated, let's let's call it again, go back to the networking event where you're telling a story and as soon as you're done, the other per person tells a story about a similar issue or a similar thing. Like, oh, I just, just went on this vacation uh, to Colombia. And then as soon as you're like, have a little pause, they're like, oh, I went to Colombia too. And I went here and I did all of this. And they completely forget to acknowledge that you have shared something and just move on to them sharing something about themselves. And I find that's that's another thing that I start to, I guess, put into almost like a structure or format that I would put people back in the same group and uh, just tell them, okay, now, like, what's what's something you appreciate about the other person sharing? Or when did you feel the most connected in their story? And just having that, like, debrief, that going back and going a little bit deeper by sharing an acknowledgement or an appreciation, 
that that's where I see people go so deep so quickly. It's not the first part of the question, it's the follow-up. Once we do that once, I think everybody starts to realize the power of a good follow-up question, of not switching back and forth by sharing something about ourselves, but really understanding how did the other person feel? Uh, tell me more about that. Like that's where you as a storyteller, that's where you really feel that feel seen, feel heard, where you light up because they notice you're passionate about something or there's something that you might have not shared with anyone and allowing you to do that is, is I think where, where those magical moments happen. This episode is supported by Atomic Climbing Holds. With orders that ship in one to five business days and having removable climbing holds that are really ideal for a challenge course program, allowing you to adapt and change the routes that you might have on your traverse walls and your climbing walls, then I highly recommend you checking out Atomic Climbing Holds. You can find them at their website, atomicclimbingholds.com, as well as see all the wonderful climbing holds that they make on their Instagram at Atomic Climbing Holds. And Atomic is with a K, A-T-O-M-I-K, Climbing Holds. Transition it into like the virtual stuff because now we're like we are immersed in that and you've been coming up with some great videos on YouTube about how to use uh, Zoom and other platforms virtually and, and facilitate. What advice do you have in that world, especially when it comes to the conversations? Do you have like rules, criteria that you do for the breakout rooms? Like how do you facilitate conversation in the virtual world? One really important thing that maybe I should mention, which applies to in-person and virtual that I always do is I set some uh, community agreements, just making sure that we're all agreed on certain guidelines that will make the most out of those conversations. And one of them is giving each other the gift of being present, which means turning off our phones and putting that away, ideally making Zoom full screen. I don't know if you know about the hiding self view, where you kind of hide your own picture, mm -hmm. uh, but you still see the other person or everyone else. That has become my kind of yeah, another secret hack, because if you think about what that is, when you're like having one-on-one -one conversation like we are on Zoom and you're like, you see the other person on the left and you're on the right. In person, that would mean you're sitting across the table from someone and then on the other side, there's a mirror. And you're constantly <laughs> checking your mirror. Like it would be so weird. Yeah. So why do we do it online? So first thing I tell people is like hide self view, uh, put Zoom in full screen, turn off your phone so we can really be present with each other. And then I also talk about how there's a huge potential for growth when we're uncomfortable, when we're having these vulnerable conversations. Like when people show up, most of the time they know about the subject matter. They either opt in or uh, if it's like with a team, they at least know the purpose is so they get to know each other more. So I say, well, if we really want to make the most out of our time, we have to do things that might be a little bit uncomfortable. So we'll stretch ourselves a bit. But the third thing that I usually share is only to the point where you feel comfortable. That's where the choice comes in. Like you don't need to, if you get a vulnerable question, you don't need to answer it. Like in every detail, you need to say everything. You can still choose what types of stories you share. Or if it is in person, you can like uh, exchange the card or um, like find something else you can share about the question rather than, than answering it. 
So those are the three things I usually share at the beginning. And I think they're even more important, especially the one about being present in a virtual space to just make sure that, that everybody's bought in. Like even if you put people in breakout rooms and one person talks for the whole time and the other person did a chance to share, that usually is on me because I didn't set that up as a guideline or rule. It's mm -hmm. not their fault. That's kind of what naturally happens. And in person, when you have a conversation, there is no countdown timer ticking down. Um, so on Zoom, we have it. So I need to tell people, hey, there's a clock on the corner and we're going to break out for eight minutes. Each person takes about four minutes. Uh, the person who starts to share is the one whose name comes first in the alphabet to cut down on even any small talk or like sp wasting time figuring that out in the beginning. And then, then I sent them off. And, and I think that part about the listening, that's the part, that's where a lot of people struggle. It's like, you're telling your story about your vacation mm -hmm. and I know it's my turn next. So I get to tell my story. So I'm in crafting my story in my head and I'm constantly like thinking about things while you're talking, I'm not really present with you. So shifting the focus from like out of my head into the other person or to the other person, that's the, that's the, where, where you, you'll start to shift it. Um, I think it, it will make a difference in the connections that you feel with the other, with the other person who's sharing. Jan, what I'm thinking of maybe how we, how we could end this is have you share how people might find you. But I was wondering as well if we could maybe be brave and go for one of your brave questions and delve into another conversation real quick. Let me pull up again a, a random one. So I have this is this is going to be scary because I don't know. <laughs> I, I know some of the questions and depending on which one you pick. Uh, this time we might go. I'm going to go right in the middle. All right. Um, the question is, have you ever, have you had a spiritual experience? It's a bit of a yes and a no. And in terms of the definition really around spiritual, I'm, I, I would classify myself as atheist, but I have had a spiritual, maybe paranormal. I don't know that those two, there was a, um, a site that I worked at. Anyone who is a familiar with High Five might know some of the buildings around the property are very old. And there was a period where there was a school that ran for many, many years, the Austin School for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. The, the place was closed for maybe six months, and we had the option to go into the building and grab anything that we wanted. And we were looking for like second screens and stuff and like that kind of stuff. Like what could we maybe take and use in our office? We went down and there was multiple levels to it. We went to the bottom floor and suddenly I started to smell toast. I'm like, uh oh, am I having like a heart attack or something because of the, the sensation mm. of toast? And we and we walk in and there was a kitchen because it used to be a, um, a dormitory kind of like a school where people would stay there. And so there was a kitchen and out of the kitchen walks a woman carrying a tray that's piled full of toast. And this school has been closed for six months. There's no reason this woman would be there. And she walks past and both me, myself and colleague look across and we like, hello, no response. And she just walks out of the building. So I've since referred to her as the toast ghost. I'm not sure if she maybe was real and thought we were ghosts and maybe that's why she didn't respond. But that's probably as close as I've possibly ever come to the to That's more paranormal, but spiritual. Yeah, th this is this is so great. You know, this question can go in so many directions yeah. because of the your definite. Like everybody defines spiritual as different. I find sometimes the conversations just go about let's define this word. Like, 
for for each one of us and that's the where the conversation goes and other times people go like there's this like they know the moment mm. like there's this one thing that they've maybe not told anyone or maybe they've told everyone like they know right away what what to talk about and for me this question like each question comes with a story like i chose those questions sometimes because i'm like i've never thought about this i wonder what my answer is and other times it's like i know a story i know a moment that was impactful in my life what's a question i could ask to like hear what other people's experiences and for me i also would say that i'm i'm atheist but i still feel like i had a spiritual experience because to me spiritual means that i feel connected to something bigger and i can't really define what it is but i attended this weekend retreat now like five six years ago like a lot of amazing things happened i now say i made 30 new friends in 48 hours and that was like the my first dipping my toes into self-development it was all about goal setting for the year at the very last day after we did a lot of experiential uh, activities and exercises and just like we went outside of the city for the weekend there was no technology turned off all the phones and then the last day when everybody was saying goodbye i was looking around the room and i almost could see or sense people's energy vibrating out of their bodies and I now describe it as uh, if you remember the Care Bears, you know how they shoot the rainbows out of the bellies. That's kind of what I imagined was happening. And like everybody was talking, and it's almost like I could see, feel the sound kind of fading out a little bit, and just this light vibrating in the room. I couldn't describe it. All I knew is that uh, when I left that retreat for like the next two or three weeks. I was like on drugs. I was like floating. <laughs> I was not walking. Anybody that I talked to, I'm like, they could feel that I was different. And it's almost like my, I call it my emotional battery was supercharged and was overflowing. Just anybody that I talked to would like feel, feel the energy. And after like two, three weeks, I started draining that energy and kind of went back to normal. But that, that experience was so like, it was a huge turning point in my life that to me that is the story that comes up when I think about a spiritual moment. Awesome. So uh, thank you, Jan. You, you definitely got me thinking, and uh, I, I really enjoyed this connection and this conversation. Once again, I, it's really awesome to be able to connect with people that I can just tell just by the way they're describing the work or the stories they have that there's something connected between the two of us, and I, I think that's wonderful. How might people, if they're interested in learning more about the work you do, how do they find that? Because my name is so hard to pronounce as we... Uh, or even spell, depending on if you're hearing it on the podcast, uh, you can just go to askdeepquestions.com and that actually redirects you to my website. Uh, you'll land on the page about the cards, but if you use any of the top menu buttons, you'll find out all the other things, the kind of virtual facilitator trainings, the workshops, events that I'm doing as well. Once again, thank you so much, Jan, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Phil. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting Article Pasta Guy! <laughs>
as a reminder, please, if you could continue to share the podcast with any educators that you think would find this beneficial, as well as letting me know what information you'd like me to share about and who potentially you'd like me to interview at podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five, adventure.org. Thank you so much. Stay safe and stay connected.